Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I am really excited about today's episode. It's going to be all about adventuring, so it's going to be a really fun topic today. We have a guest on the show. Her name is Heidi Dusick, and she is the founder and host of the Ordinary Sherpa podcast and brand that's designed to inspire families to connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Heidi is well-versed in challenging the status quo, connecting people, and designing experiences. Her adventurous lens on life, using empathy and curiosity as critical threads in the fabric of designing an authentic and memorable life. She and her husband live in a small town over in Wisconsin, where I'm in Minnesota, so she's another Midwest gal, with their three children and dog. They travel frequently, spend a lot of time outside, and create simple adventure experiences near and far. As a working executive, Heidi did not want to choose between her career, being a mom, or having an adventure-filled life resulting in her latest book that we're also going to discuss today called Beyond Normal, a field guide to embracing adventure, exploring the wilderness, and designing an extraordinary life with kids. So thanks so much for joining us, Heidi. Welcome to the show today. Yes, thank you so much, Kat. I've really enjoyed listening to the show. And I just want to like, total disclaimer, not in the medical field, but totally appreciate what you do and who you're providing this for. It's so critical. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to have this conversation. Awesome. I'm sure that many of the listeners have picked up on that. I absolutely love traveling. So I think that today's episode will be really fun because I really like how you share how you can travel both in your state, in your town, as well as abroad. So I think that that'll be really wonderful as well to share with the listeners. And although I don't have any kiddos myself yet, we're hoping eventually to have kids. And I'm really hoping that we can continue to travel with kids. So I really commend and respect lots of people that try to do so. So do you mind sharing what your life looked like before you were a mom and when you were younger and how the seeds of adventuring kind of got planted in your life? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. So I was the stereotypical striver and achiever. Like I did all the things. And it's pretty true. You know, I think I, I still like to say I like to choose my busy and my busy was often driven by curiosity. I just wanted to try so many different things. So, you know, I got good grades. I was in a lot of sports and student council and band and show choir. Like I just did a lot because I enjoyed it. Sure. So I'm a child of the 80s. Uh, graduated in the 90s. So I was thankful that I got out of high school before there was all this like pressure to have AP courses. And I think that was a blessing to me because I got to dabble in a lot of different things that didn't have this 
benchmark that you had to have so many credits graduating from high school, college credits, you know, that there was that stage. I was before that big blip came and I felt like that was a blessing. However, I also was so determined that I got into college and I double majored, double minored, was it a track athlete all four years, was still in all the things. So I just was like on this narrow path to like, this is my ideal life. I'm just going to hurry up and do it. And then I got there, right? So you achieve it. And you're like, great, I'm here. And then I was like, I don't, I don't think I want this. Sure. <laughs> now yeah. what do I do? So I was a teacher at that point okay. and, and just was feeling like I didn't know that I wanted the life that I had planned all this time for. You know, I had invested a lot of money in my career and in my schooling. I wanted to just like figure out what I wanted to do. And so that's really where I would say like the first flavors of adventure started to like seep in. They had always been there. My first airplane ride was in fourth grade. And I like that was probably the bug, right? I had camped. I had been on an airplane. I was an exchange student in high school. So I had enough experience beneath me that I knew that there was something there that I wanted to keep exploring. Sure. And my career was starting to feel like stifling. And I only had like a couple years in. It's not like I was a lifer. I was just like, I was seeing them celebrate, you know, teachers that were there for like 20, 30 years. And I was like, oh my gosh, this feels like a death sentence. Yeah. So adventure, even at that early age in my 20s, became my outlet to say, what could I do this week? What can I say yes to this month? What's something I've never done that sounds exciting? And I kind of went from there. When I did meet my husband, he did not share that same <laughs> excitement for adventure. I don't say that, you know, I should say travel. He never traveled. He'd been on an airplane once thought it was inconvenient, didn't really love his like schedule being disrupted and people being telling him what to do. So the thought of travel was just inconvenient for him. He didn't quite share the same enthusiasm I did. Uh, but I used that to my benefit and said like, so what does he love? And he loves motorcycles, it's especially, you know, before we had kids, he loved motorcycles. And so I just exploited that. Right. Sure. <laughs> it's like, okay let's do a motorcycle trip. And he was like, what? <laughs> uh, you know, it is just, it just kept going from there. Right. We were like, okay, prove that one, prove that one. This is working. By the time kids came around again, still was not like all in on adventure, but we started to really feel, and I I'd say feel intentionally, you know, I think there's head data and there's heart data. And we really started to lean into our hearts and say, this is what I feel is the most meaningful. The things that we're doing when we're adventuring feel much more authentic. They feel like in alignment with who we are. And so that's kind of how we've landed. Uh, Ordinary Sherpa is relatively new, but I think the work has been 20 years in the making. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think that it's really great that you had that seed planted earlier in life when you wanted to adventure more. And I think that it's really funny how you mentioned about your husband wasn't always on board as much either, because I can definitely relate to that. I always have to twist my husband's arm a little bit to travel or things like that. And I try to use the things that he enjoys on our trips, like fishing, which I enjoy as well, or being able to ride different toys, or like you said, motorcycles or things like that. And then he always says he has lots of fun on these trips that we eventually do go on, but we do have to kind of twist his arm a little bit. So it's really funny that you say that for sure. Yeah. And I also, I have a husband who's very, mm, 
I mean, tight feels like an insult and I don't mean it that way, but he's very budget conscious, right? Sure. So I also had to like make it a challenge. Like what could we do with this budget? So that also felt like a game for me. Like uh, the adventure became part of the planning. So our budget for the longest time was like $1,200. And then we upped it to $2,500. And we did that still with three kids. And so wow. I still pride myself a little bit on the fact that we did so many cool things without feeling like we were breaking the bank. You know, I would look at families who said they were spending like $10,000 on a trip. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Right. <laughs> and, and you know, you can't really put a price tag on your memory. So if that's meaningful for them and they want to do that, that's fine. I didn't want to judge about it. But I knew that that was not the way that we were going to travel. Yeah, certainly. And then how do you feel like when you are trying to go on these adventures or trips with your kids that you try to make it not seem like work for you? Are there systems that you have in place that can help with that to make it a little bit easier for you and your husband? So I have adopted this term that I call untourism. Sure. And it's not really like an official term, but I'll just kind of give you what I mean. What I mean by that is I get really, I don't want to say... I just feel like travel is really dominated by these major brands that have a lot of money that can sell you on all the things and make you feel inadequate if you don't do these things, right? And I just knew that that wasn't me. So as I got better at traveling, we learned that the gems, like the things nobody knew about, or the hole-in-the-wall places that we would eat at, like those were the magic. Like that's where the magic is. And so it became less about where we go and more about like, how are we going to do this? What do we want to experience? I, my son, for example, my firstborn, he's 12 now, but at age two, that kid loved baseball. Like he was waking up every morning at 6am and we had to go play baseball. He would watch baseball, a two-year-old like would watch <laughs> baseball. <laughs> like, it was so, so insane. And so we just decided to like lean into that. When could we go play baseball? Were there batting cages around? That was kind of one of the things we would look for because I knew he liked it. And so it was less, actually, it took a huge burden off of me because I didn't have to have this all figured out, right? I would have the logistics. Usually it was driven by where was the fair sale? <laughs> How could I, you know, keep our budget under in, in wraps? And then the lodging expense was usually like the next biggest expense. So did we know someone in the area? Uh, is there an Airbnb or some kind of interesting place that we could stay that would be kid friendly so we could cook our own meals and take naps throughout the day without having like all these other, you know, distractions, I guess. And, you know, then from there, the play and all that kind of stuff just became like, what do we love to do? And how can we do it for cheap? So there's a couple things, a couple little like hacks that I use. One is I ask the gas station attendant almost all the time, like, what would you do today? Or where would you like to eat? Like, what's your favorite restaurant? Not like, not what do you think I should do? Because they don't know me. Yeah. Like, they're going to give me the tourist answer. So that's one of my favorite questions is just to like, or the front desk or the host where we're staying, the airline baggage guy, you know, like just get to know someone, ask a stranger some interesting questions. And then we also became very aware of things like brown signs and brown signs are a location's ability. So you can get these locations. Essentially, it's like a it's essentially a tourist attraction, but they're usually like history museums or um, parks or playgrounds, anything like that. 
that is meaningful to that community. And the community actually has to register them and they get sent up and approved essentially at the state level. So there's this whole system around it, but you don't see the brown signs, right? They're really non-obvious. They blend into the background. They're just not something most people pay attention to. And when I realized what brown signs were, I was like, okay, look for the brown signs. What, What do you see around? Like, what should we put on our list? What should we check out? Um, and we look for things like food. What's what's a unique food that we had never heard of, you know, as we started to get to know the area. If there's something that we don't know about, street vendors are great if we're in an urban area. Like, what is what is that? What is Mexican? What is street corn? You know, like, tell me more. What's in there? I want to try that. Those would be things that we would say, like, what's a couple bucks and trying this? I mean, you got to be careful about that because obviously you could get sick, but... <laughs> Those were things that we just realized, like it was easier on us if we just leaned into these curious tendencies and also exploited the things that we already liked. Right. So I wasn't trying to convince my son to go to this museum. I was saying, like, let's go play baseball. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too hard to convince him. So I have I guess I have like three things now. My my oldest does baseball, Major League Baseball Stadium. So we always are trying to knock a couple of those off. My daughter does national parks. And then my son, oh, this was a good one. My son is like the ultimate sweet tooth who I can't get that kid to stop eating sugar. Like (laughs) he'll sneak it all the time. He's just a little monster. That's his nickname, little monster. And so we decided his travel goal was to hit the or taste the best ice cream in all 50 states. So rather than just making it like, oh, we're going to check the box and hit these states, we're going to actually taste the small batch homemade ice cream. Those are our favorites. We're going to find them, taste them. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, it gave us a different intention of like how to travel as opposed to like, where do you want to go and what are we going to do? Yeah, that's great. I absolutely love that each of your kids have their travel goals and that you kind of design trips around how you can hit at least two of them, if not all three of them in one trip. I think that's really fun and a unique concept to consider for sure. Yeah. It's a lot of fun for me too, because I don't really care, right? I don't <laughs> care where we go. I just want to go. I just want to go and play and have fun. Get me out of daily life a little bit. So for me, it's just the going. That is, that's the joy. Nice. Do you mind sharing what you mean by your concept of having weekly white space as well with your family? Yeah. This goes back actually to, I am a busy, right? I think we, a lot of us wear busy as a badge of honor. And I realized that was pretty much all of my thirties and <laughs> where I just like was busy. Right. Um, and that led me to realize the things that I was spending my time on weren't exactly the things I wanted to be spending my time on. Sure. But the only way to really protect my time was to create space in my calendar, in my life. You know, I had to start saying, get, getting really clear about what were the things I was going to start saying no to. And that's hard. I'm an extrovert. I love being around people. I love helping people. So for me, I had to create some boundaries. And one of the things we now have that we've, you know, we get clear about it. It's not always perfect, but we always say like there's this weekly white space in our family calendar where we just hang out. And usually we try to do it. Actually, we almost do it daily now if it's possible. It's hard with kids activities. But right after school, uh, we have this like hour block. My husband is a teacher. So my husband comes home and can't stand like entertaining kids. He's like, I need a break. He goes to the kitchen to make dinner and I go outside and rev all the kids up and play. And we (laughs) usually use that as like crazy, simple adventure time. Sometimes it's one-on-one time. Sometimes it's all of us trying to do something and making the other day we made a nest out of twigs in the woods. So, you know, so like we're always just using their creativity to come up with different things, but that white space has given me the freedom to say, nope, this is more important than whatever that thing is someone needs from me. And I, I think it's easy to lose sight of that. 
I do want to mention just one thing because I, I started to allude to it with this like busy feeling. Uh, there had been, oh gosh, I mean, we all hear this term like work-life balance. Um, yeah. I got really frustrated after a while with that. I was like, why is work getting so much focus of my life? Like right? it's actually just a piece of my life. It's just one of the one of the slices. So I would see like graphs where it was like 50-50 and I was like, uh-uh, I'm going to redefine those. My pie is going to look a little different. And I tried to lean into like when I am at my best version of myself, what am I doing? So that led to, and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole on my joy audit, but it led to me really leaning in is like, what does joy look like for me? Sure. And what does joy look like for my family? I realized when I was traveling and adventuring and doing these things with my kids, I was the best mom. Like I was the best version of myself that I wanted to be. I wasn't stressed out. I was really thoughtful. I would listen more. And that I realized I was like, okay, there's something here that I'm going to keep pulling this thread. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that, like you said, it can be challenging when you are a working professional to try to figure out what work-life balance is. And then once you have kids and bring them into the picture, I can imagine it's just very difficult for people to try to find that. And it always seems like the fun stuff is the stuff that like we don't have time for, right? Like we never have time for the stuff that actually brings us joy. So we just started putting that in front and saying no to the stuff that, because that's really important. Do we really have to do? There are things you really have to do, by the way. <laughs> have to be somewhat <laughs> it's responsible. It's not a free pass. <laughs> yes. Sure. This is not a free pass to be irresponsible and, you know, non-responsive. But it did help me create boundaries around like what goes first and then what goes second. Yes, definitely. It's all about living an intentional life, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Cool. Do you mind sharing what your human-centered design framework is for the listeners? Yeah, so human-centered design is not mine. It is a, uh, it's often used in like product development or research development type work. Okay. It's getting more and more popular in uh, just social uh, spaces, community development work, those types of places. So the interesting thing about human-centered design is it's focused on empathy and people. So instead of, you know, we always think of, oh, what's the new idea? And we start with the idea and Really, human-centered design helps you fall in love with the problem and understand, like, why is that harming or, you know, how do you attach yourself to that problem? Let me give you an example. We are working – so in my W-2 world, I lead a private family foundation. Okay. So I do a lot of community development work. We're working in basic needs and poverty. And a lot of mental health is a really interesting space that we've been pioneers in our area, at least, um, for quite some time. Awesome. The family that I work for has That's been. That's great. And um, one of the things, so I had the luxury of doing this human-centered design with parents of children who were seeking mental health services. Um, and one mother one time, as I was doing this empathy interview, the questions are very open. They're like, explain to me what a good day looks like. You know, so you can just kind of get to this point of like, what is going right? You know, when things are all clicking and you are on your jam, what does that look like, right? Right. And then what does a bad day look like? Just so I can start it when, and I'm, I'm coming at this from a place of privilege. I have, I don't have children with mental health needs. I have not experienced that, but I know what it's like to be a parent. And when you feel that pain for your child and don't feel like you can help them, you know, that I could feel as a parent. So it just helped me really get to understand and feel my way through the problem. 
I alluded to this earlier, you know, often we, we think our head data, the data that comes out of thinking gets priority because it has logic behind it. But we then don't listen to our intuition or our heart data. And that feeling data really gets priority with human-centered design. So once you go through this empathy process, you take really good notes, and then you start to look at themes. Like this mom feels like, you know, when we talked to this mom, she felt like there was nobody to help her when her son was banging his head on the floor, other than feeling like I'm an awful parent. Mm. So, you know, that was the type of thing like, okay, how can we help this mom as opposed to like you should do this or you should do this, you know, like that doesn't solve the problem. And so it, you begin to really test and iterate and design prototypes, but the goal is to like lean towards action as opposed to planning. And that kind of rapid iteration and ideation and testing and feedback loops, you know, those are all really important pieces. And it became a really important piece actually in designing my life because I realized it's very easy to go to the five-year plan, but what do I want to do today? Sure. You know, and that's where we often get caught up and we don't do anything then. So by me thinking like, okay, let's fail fast. What are we going to do? What's on the five-year plan and what am I going to do tomorrow? What's the first next step I need to do in order to start gathering data or testing this? And so testing and all of those things that I learned in human-centered design became really critical pieces then to designing my own life that I wanted to live instead of this five-year plan. That's great. Thank you. And I think that's a good segue into the next topic that I would like you to touch on a little bit too. You touch on how neuroplasticity and neuroscience are affected by adventuring as well as comfort zones for people. Can you share some of that information? Because I think that'll be very interesting to the listeners. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I am not the expert in neuroscience, nor am I the expert in neuroplasticity, but I have been fortunate to kind of, I don't know, walk alongside or in the wings of a neuroscientist at UW-Madison named Richie Davison. He was the neuroscientist that worked very closely with the Dalai Lama and has done amazing studies on the impact of mindfulness and meditation practices. And so that is the context that I have behind this work and, and where I've learned a lot of it from. I also, being a teacher, started to understand that neuroplasticity is your brain's ability to adapt to different things. And I was like, well, duh, <laughs> this is learning, right? Yeah. So in learning, as you learn something new, the further, uh, the better you are, right? The, the more you master the skill, the less help you need, essentially. So when you start to look at some of these metaphors, neuroplasticity shows that your brain can actually adapt when you start to notice and be aware and practice different things to calm your brain or to calm your body or to, you know, focusing on your breath, things like that. But a lot of science now to say that you can actually help structurally change your brain to address things like anxiety and depression and improve your sleep. And there's a lot of really um, interesting research now that's happened related to mindfulness, meditation and neuroscience, but it's all rooted back in this concept of neuroplasticity. So it's not like, oh, I'm too old right? All the reasons we give ourselves, I'm too old. I'm not adventurous. Like all of those things actually can be changed because they're just simply thoughts. And so we have to test and move into places of discomfort. And when you move into places of discomfort, you get a response, you get feedback, you get a stimulus, you know, stimulus creates a response. 
And you get to decide. So I call this zone, like when you step outside the comfort zone, I call it the margins of discomfort, right? So I I don't have to go skydiving to experience adventure. It might mean I do something today that makes me a little uncomfortable, but I'm still supported. I get the feedback and I say, do I want to keep doing this or do I want to go back to my comfort zone? Because we can't live in this like growth discomfort for very long. Our body needs to rejuvenate. We don't want to be overstimulated. You know, there's a lot of things that say, no, you need to get back to comfort. And so all of this has led me to this adventure mindset that I wanted my kids to start. And, and this really came actually from parenting more than, you know, not, and after years and years and years of studying all this stuff, um, I realized that things like meditation before sleep, it helped us calm our bodies. So I was like, oh, there's something there that if we can come back to comfort, my kids have better sleep. I have better sleep. I, I like I could, I was a living experience that I had. I, it was my truth. So I wanted then to say, what would it look like if I pushed the boundaries of discomfort? What does it look like to get into that growth zone without going into the fear or the trauma space? And adventure was the best way I knew how to do it. It just was the thing. So things like a new experience, when you look at what adventure actually means, it's a new, potentially dangerous, potentially risky, exhilarating experience. It's not epic. It doesn't have to be epic. It just has to be a little new and a little different. Sure. So we started doing simple things to get us uncomfortable and not, like I said, not trauma, right? We just <laughs> want to get a little uncomfortable. And then I started to realize my kids were better at coping mechanisms. So they could come back and go, oh, I learned this because I had that experience I learned that that didn't work. So now I'm going to try a different way and I'm going to, you know, work through it. So I was seeing things like resiliency and there's just so many things that are coming out of something rooted in neuroscience and mindfulness practices that the research was already showing. So again, going back and, and testing things and feeling our way through it a little bit. I didn't have the answers. We didn't exactly know what we were doing. And I, it, it was not a research study, by the way. Like, this is... <laughs> Heidi on the fly sure. <laughs> in many cases. Um, yeah. But that's that's really how that work, though, led us to this fascinating field of research that's actually just emerging. There are now things called adventure therapy and wilderness therapy that are showing like qualitative research around the therapeutic effects of nature. Awesome. These are things I'd felt, but I didn't know the data behind it or what was possible. So I'm really excited, you know, to see how some of the the field is emerging. Things also that are emerging are really understanding how risky play are critical to child's children's development, all of our development. We need to get out of upright positions. And as a society, that's hard to do. We're standing, we're sitting, blood is pooling, you know, all yeah. those things. Anyway, you can tell I'm pretty passionate about it now. No, I love it. I love it. I think that that's all wonderful information. And coming from a PA who's working in mental health and psychiatry right now, I think all that information is incredibly interesting. So I think that when I talk to my patients about, you know, trying to find things that they enjoy to do versus, you know, when they're so down or so anxious that they feel like they can't leave their home, I think that working on simple steps is very great advice. And then just the importance of getting some activity or exercise and, you know, any of these adventures, you're at least moving your body and experiencing something new. So that can help with some of those natural hormones and neurotransmitters and help you feel a bit better too. So I think that's all completely interesting and fascinating information. So thank you for sharing all that. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I love, if you hear more stuff, I always love learning about this kind of stuff. It is fascinating. And even seeing how tactile interactions work, right? That there's so many different things that we can do having bare feet in the different surfaces, you know, grass or sand or, you know, all of those things have, uh, we have responses that have, you know, physiological responses that happen too, that can help release dopamine. And it's just, it's so fascinating to me. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate you sharing all that information because I think that the listeners will be fascinated by all that. So thank you. And then I would suspect that many of the PAs out there who are listening, that our parents are just incredibly busy, as you mentioned. Busyness is just so prevalent in our society as well as in medicine, unfortunately. But can you give some simple, clear step actions of the busy parents out there that want to start adventuring with their kids? How can they do so maybe close to home, maybe when they only have a limited amount of time? What are just some few ideas that you would suggest for them? Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing this. And I will give your listeners, I'm going to give you a link at the very end to a freebie. So I have like 50 ideas that are simple things you can do tomorrow Cool. Um, and variations. So you can do these things over and over and over again. So I use, again, start with what you're familiar with and what you enjoy. But again, just just doing something to get outside or not even outside, but like something different. So sometimes I'll give you like three examples. We love ice cream in our house. And I'll, I'll tell you a story really quick that that three or the my youngest child who loves ice cream and is traveling via ice cream for his birthday. He wanted he gets to make whatever meal he wants. Right. So he's like, Mom, I want to pretend I want to go to Cold Stone Creamery for my birthday. And I was like, well, that's not dinner. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, no, not getting that. I said, what's your favorite food? If you could choose any other food, like dinner food, breakfast food, anything else, what's your favorite food? And I'll make it for you. And he said, pancakes. And I was like, ooh. So I took the idea of Cold Stone Creamery. And Cold Stone Creamery has things like you get to choose your flavor of the bat, you know, the ice cream that you have. You get to choose some mix-ins. You have a topping. And we recreated that with pancakes. So we made a recipe of like, I had butter pecan and maple syrup oh, and nice. Hershey syrup and strawberry, you know, like these were all things I had in my cupboard, ironically. I mean, some of the things I was like, I have this in here, you know, <laughs> cupcake sprinkles. It's amazing what happens when you start to look for them. Right? It's like, oh, I have plenty of stuff in my cupboards already. I don't need to go buy anything. I looked for different mix-ins, you know, things like maple syrup. We tried different like vanilla flavor, chocolate flavor. We did an Oreo brand, all these different things. And that was our dinner. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's just a new, different experience. It doesn't actually have to be going anywhere. I didn't spend a dime on that experience. Another one is um, we like to do a lot of things where we just, uh, so... <laughs> We live in Wisconsin, okay? <laughs> There's a lot of indoor time, right? Sure. So we have this little tracker to just get outside. Um, and then we try to find a way to just spend 15 minutes. Like it doesn't have to be anything, but let's just go outside, spend 15 minutes. And what happens with kids especially is they're bored at first. But once you get past, like, we're going to stay out for 15 minutes. Let's just see what we can do. And then they try to kill the time. Then they actually, most often... They don't know that 15 minutes has passed. And all of a sudden we've spent an hour outside. So yeah. I think sometimes it's just like that intention, going back to that intention of just getting outside when you don't have structure. This saved me in the pandemic. I called it week Wednesday field trips to the woods. Uh, <laughs> we live in an open area. So we could just like go in our backyard. And I was like, I have no mental capacity right now to entertain you. 
I can hardly step away from work. So my work just exploded. And I, we would just literally go in the woods. And one afternoon on a Wednesday for like 30 minutes, I didn't do anything. And the kids just played. And they came up with like skits and there was this fairy land. And at one point they were all sloths hanging on the branch of a tree. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, the kids, the sound of the kids playing and like nature, it was the most grounding experience I ever had. So sometimes we don't need to plan anything if that unstructured time is really helpful. But other times it's winter. So we try to reimagine, like, what could we do inside? We'll do American Ninja Warrior. And again, I'm not creating any of this. I'm not planning any of it. I'm like, oh, let's do a scavenger hunt or a, you know, like American Ninja Warrior course. My kids are always coming up with something. We turned the garage into a roller rink one time. (laughs) And one kid, like, was on a scooter. We put the boat, like, the little speaker outside and blasted some music. My husband and I grabbed a broomstick and we did limbo. It was it's actually really fascinating what you can do when you start to get intentional about like, oh, what would be a different experience that we haven't that we could do at home? And how could we do it at home, even if we don't feel like we have the right stuff? That's awesome. I think that all those sound incredibly fun. And you just gave some perspective of how you really don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to buy anything to have simple adventures with family members and things like that. So thank you. Yeah, it it gets really fun. And I think it's a little addicting too. So I also uh, have, and I don't have this necessarily, I think it's actually a freebie in the book, but I offer seasonal adventure lists. This is just a way for all of us as a family too, to to come up with like, what are things you'd like to do? So I'll just give an example. We're going to be traveling. This helps too with planning travel too. Um, My son is like, crazy about fishing right now. My oldest son is crazy about fishing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't talk one more moment about fishing. (laughs) But what that led to was him deciding he wants to go fly fishing for the first time. Sure. Okay. A fly fishing trout stream, something of that will happen. But he also got really curious about making his own lures. So that led to him, you know, designing things for himself. My daughter is dead set on horses. I am not a horse mom. We don't do horse lessons. But if we can do this on vacation and make this, you know, reasonable, we'll do it. Yeah. You know, so those things also help just create some intention around what do we want to do. I really want to sit in a natural hot spring. Like a they have a lot of these in Idaho and that's kind of on the list. And so it also helps us go well hot springs, those are just out in the public. Most people don't even know they exist. Yeah. So it gives you an intention on like, what are we actually looking for? Sure. Instead of just doing like free things to do in Wisconsin or free, you know, what can I do with kids in Wisconsin, which I often do. I'll also say like hot springs in Idaho, because now I know what I'm looking for. It helps. Yeah, there you go. I think you touched on many suggestions already about how you don't need to spend a lot of money with these adventures. Do you have any other suggestions of how to travel or go on trips or adventure on a budget? Yeah, I've been fortunate because now I have a little tribe that I like to call, you know, I have a lot of connections all over the world that didn't just come today, but it helped me to lean into things. I'll give you. So we had a pretty unfortunate experience. Actually, we started the year with my daughter having a bike accident with two broken arms. She broke her um, both wrists and her elbow requiring surgery. Oh, man. And so we were just really limited. And, and when her cast came off and she was finally able to go do, she we didn't do spring break or anything like that. I was like, you know, we, we got to celebrate this. But I did not have the budget for it. I just spent 
a significant amount of money on these health expenses that I was like, ah, yeah, no but I did have some travel rewards. I still have like companion pass with Southwest. So I was like, okay, I could do something quick. I'm just going to call a friend and see if we could go to Arizona for the weekend. Yeah. So I know that's not easy to do all the time, but to leverage friends who know things about places where you might be going uh, things like Facebook groups, the ordinary Sherpa has a Facebook group too, just to start putting ideas out there, asking questions. I do a ton of, you know, Instagram saving, Facebook, I'll just save ideas as I see them or I'll copy and post them into a Google Doc as I as I see them so that when it's time, I don't have to go looking for them. But leveraging your network, you know, saving things, bookmarking things is helpful. Yeah, I think just starting to build I guess a network or building some connections to help crowdsource so you don't have to do all of the work is helpful because people know the free and cheap and sometimes the best of options as opposed to what SEO will show you on Google. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. That's wonderful that's, advice. That's been really helpful. Great. Yeah. The brown signs. Brown signs are also one of my little magic jams too. You know, finding things like that that don't cost anything. There's a lot of other things I should mention. Um, my husband is a teacher, so also just discount things that you might start to notice. Sure. So for teachers, I know in nurses, sometimes there's things like, um, I think it's the AT, I'm not, I'm not going to get this right, but I'll get it back to you. Um, ASTM maybe is the initials. Essentially, any science museum or children's museum across the country, you can get a really reduced rate membership at your home museum. Cool. And then there's reciprocal, uh, so you can get in free across the country. We leverage that a lot. We camp a lot too in terms of like lodging. We've upgraded now. We have like a vacation home on wheels, like all nice. which is i.e. Our, our RV. But I mean, we tent camped for a while. It's not always as glamorous. We've rented RVs. We, you know, we've just looked at things differently. When we were going to go to Utah, the cost of a rental car plus lodging just didn't make sense. So that's when we rented an RV for the first time. So there's, you got to look at a problem and go, hmm, how can I look at, like, how can I solve this differently? Yeah. There's got to be another way. And that has really led to some creative and memorable experiences too. And connecting with people. You know, I think we really enjoy when we can meet up with other families when we travel, even if we haven't met in real life. Yes. That Arizona trip, I had never met that person, which is a little odd. I had never actually met that person in real life. And she's like, well, you can stay with us if you want. I was just looking for recommendations. She's like, you could stay with us. We've got an extra room. And I was like, are you sure? Like, do you want to do a background check on me? <laughs> like, we had spent a lot of time together, you know, podcasting course that we're both in. Yep, totally. And it was just kind of funny that she and I, she had a daughter, I have a daughter. And so it just all worked. Um, but it's just kind of funny sometimes how things like that happen, meetups at parks, all that kind of stuff that I think we get very scared because of safety and security. But when you have a relationship with someone, it it just it's kind of fun to meet new people, to play, to get outside your comfort zone. Yeah, totally. We've talked offline about how you are more than welcome to park your RV in the back yes. of our yard if you need to on the way through Minnesota sometime. Or we absolutely love ice fishing. If your son wants to try ice fishing with us, then we're happy to host you guys sometime too. And this is how it happens. I say this to people all the time too. Like if you're traveling through Northeast Wisconsin, right? Totally. I have a huge yard. I, if you have a camper, you can probably even plug in. I don't officially like sign up for all these things to do to host people just because I never know when we're going to be yeah. home. But if I know someone, I'm always hosting. I had a, you know, I had a couple mentors. My dad's cousin, I call her my aunt. She's technically, I think my cousin. She lived in New York and she was always hosting random people. As long as someone 
she knew was making the recommendation, she would let them stay at her house for free. And so so a friend of mine from high school had um, wanted to move to New York and she didn't really know where she was going to live. And her mom was a wreck. And I said, you know, my aunt lives out there and she hosts people all the time. Like, why don't I give you her phone number? Same thing happened recently. Uh, a friend of a family member <laughs> hosted us in Oklahoma nice. when my daughter had her accident. We were in Texas. So they hosted us overnight. And I can just tell you, like, there's something about that human connection, especially when things are unfamiliar. It's just, it's kind of like this warm hug. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I think that's excellent advice. And I think that so many people could do that a little bit more. Like you said, it's an interesting world we live in. So there's always the, you know, cautious behavior or the what ifs or the anxieties or things like that. But as you mentioned, if people are recommending other people that they know and you feel like it's in your comfort level, I think that it can be a really great way to get recommendations as well as have some budget friendly travel too. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It seems a little odd to say that, you know, considering how much I travel with kids. I would never put my kids in danger, right? I'm not, right. I don't want to sound irresponsible, but it is really interesting when it does work. It's pretty magical. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you mind sharing? You've touched on Ordinary Sherpa. What's the meaning behind the name Ordinary Sherpa of your podcast and your brand? Yes. Oh, I love this question. So it's kind of funny. Uh, adventure often seems epic. And when I started to look at what does adventure look like? What do people think adventure is? It's usually like mountain climbing or something outdoorsy. And ironically, I was reading a book that was about climbing Mount Everest. And there's two actually meanings behind the Sherpa. So there is the Sherpa tribe that are really instrumental in supporting Mount Everest climbers getting to the to the summit or even at base camp. Like they have a really unique role in a lot of other people's summits. So that is one definition and one people might know about. But a Sherpa is also referred to as a guide, someone who is not always the expert, but someone who is a couple steps ahead of you on this journey. And that's kind of how I felt. Like I didn't want to be like the experty, most adventurous. I'm not. I'm not climbing Mount Everest. I have no <laughs> desire I do some adventurous things, but I would never say like, I'm the top tier. I'm an expert. It's just not my style. I'm too Midwestern for that. (laughs) And so (laughs) I wanted to be relevant to just ordinary parents, ordinary families, ordinary people that had this desire without feeling like, oh, I can't do that because it's Mount Everest. So that's where the ordinary, I wanted it to be relevant. And the Sherpa is this adventurous guide, wherever you are on that path. Hopefully you can find a place here. Awesome. Yeah, I love your podcast, Ordinary Sherpa. It's wonderful. And I'm really glad that we were able to meet in a podcasting course. And we both have an interest in financial independence. So do you mind sharing how you feel like you're setting yourself up, your family's life up to continue to pursue adventuring once you reach financial independence? Yeah. Oh, this is so fun. There's so many things that are still developing, right? So FI for me, financial independence for me became this like lightning bolt of possibility because I felt like at 36 years old, I had an executive role and I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to be here for 30 years. Like, where am I going to go from here? What am I going to do with, you know, and and it just felt exhausting. Yeah. So for me, FI was like, this is interesting. Look what's possible. Right. And that was the only door I needed to really go, okay, we can think differently about this. So for us, 
what has this meant? It's meant that uh, my husband and I have been really intentional about saving and being really intentional about spending. What we spend our money on is where we value what we value um, and not letting the outside world define what we need in life. Right. So getting really clear, our budget, our family budget is about 75. It's gone all the way up to 90. So again, it's not perfect, but we found that like 75 to 80,000 is like, it's enough so that every once in a while we have to get creative because now things are a little tighter. Right. And we're like, Oh shoot, overspent or splurged on something. And now we're feeling it a little. Yeah. And I like that because I think it forces us every once in a while to get a little creative, but I also don't feel like I'm sacrificing. That's not where we live. You know, we're finding really meaningful ways to enjoy life on a regular basis. So the big news, and this is not public anywhere, but you know, here you Ooh, go. How exciting. It hasn't even been announced on my <laughs> podcast. So this is fascinating. Oh boy. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, the big news was that we wanted to travel much more. I have the ability to work remote pretty frequently. I work from home now. Nice. But my husband being a teacher, it just became constantly like this battle because they have a number of restrictions on when they can take personal days and, you know, all those things. So it just felt like travel was always defined by someone else's schedule, not by what we would prefer. So I would love to take an October vacation. That is like my deepest desire is like, I want to travel in October and September whenever I feel like it. So the big news is my husband resigned as a teacher, effective Monday. Um, So this will be a summer of freedom of him exploring. We got there because we started to just save his salary completely. And uh, we lived off of mine, less than mine, but we were able to pretty much say, okay, we can make this work with my salary. And if we don't need you working, why are you working? <laughs> you know? <laughs> totally. So we are at the point, so we're coast, I mean, I don't know how much you've gone into this, but we're coast by, you know, possibly closer to semi-retired. So he's going to explore passion work, things that just we're going to call it like his unschooling period where he doesn't have to be in school and in charge or teaching anything. He gets to just explore his passions. He's a tech ed teacher, you know, shop and woods and all that kind of stuff. So he definitely has a passion towards things like rebuilding engines and wood shop. And I want him to finish our house because this has been a year, years, like we moved in <laughs> in 2018. It's been years in progress of like nothing's done. So I'm excited about that. But he's also saying, you know, like, maybe I'll take some part-time work when people need it. So he's just put his name out there casually. And I am stunned at the type of people that are already like, first of all, like, what are you doing next year? Where are you going? What are you going to, like, what do you mean you don't know what you're doing? Or what do you mean you're going to do side jobs? Like, that's not response. Like, what do you mean? It's so (laughs) fascinating, the conversations. Um, But also, you know, the construction industry, the trades, they're just dying for people. So they're willing to do a lot to have him work whatever hours he's willing to work, but he's already said nothing full-time. If anything, it'll be like two, three days a week at most. So it's, we're on this like grand experiment. The other thing is we've already said between the two of us, like there is a window. Our kids are 12, 10, and six right now that if we were going to do something as a family, now's the time. So we are getting much more intentional about just I don't want to say not caring, but giving ourselves permission to say like, this is the time. You don't have to have the plan figured out. This is the time we're going to take this, you know, these next few years for sure and just exploit it. Yeah. (laughs) 
for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. And we'll see, we'll see where it goes and having the clarity, but also, you know, the confidence that our, we've run our numbers a number of times, we will be okay. I, I left a job at 25 and did not have another job. And I had a house and I had a car payment, you know, I had all these other things. And I was like, if I made it through that, that some, you know, that's an adventure. And I didn't mention this before, but those experiences build a little bit of confidence and also a little grit. Like sometimes when your back is against the wall, you figure stuff out. And so, yeah, that's fear can be debilitating. And we just decided, no, there's, there's more confidence than fear at this point. So we've, we've done a number of different experiments and that's, that's our next one. That is so exciting. I am so happy for you guys. And I can't wait to hear all the updates and see what you guys are up to. I think that it's, really commendable that you guys are taking the time to enjoy where your kids are at their ages and spending the time with them. We are hoping to do that in the future as well when we have kids. So I think that that's absolutely wonderful. We can just see how our nieces and nephew, they are growing so incredibly fast. And it's like, where in the world is the time going? And it's just when you can spend the time with the kids when you can, then I think that it's so important to try to prioritize that. And Although you guys are at the point of Coast Fi, it's probably going to set back your true financial independence state a little bit. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, who cares, right? You guys are prioritizing the importance of this moment in your life. So I think that's absolutely wonderful, too. Yeah. And I think, you know, gaps used to be kind of frowned upon. And I think the market is going to show us. I don't want to get economical or anything like that, but there's just not workers. Right? The, the baby boomers have left. They're out of the picture. They're pro- I don't, some of them are coming back in just because there's such a need, but there just aren't enough people to fill their shoes. And so this, we knew this has been coming for years and years and years. And so we've already said, I'm not opposed to going back to work. Like, I don't feel like that is a failure. I just want to create space in my life to reduce the stress, to be intentional. So I, you know, I joke, I was like, there's a million jobs that I've been curious about. And I wonder if, right? Everything from like, I wonder if we could be ski bums for a season, <laughs> or I wonder if we could, you know, name it, right? Yeah. There's just so many things that I would love to explore that are kind of on this dream list. And they've just been stuck there for a long time because I didn't know what to do with them. So I'm giving myself permission to say like, what do we want to do with this now? Do I want to try it? Do we want to take it off? Do we want to come back to it in 10 years? It's just, it's really freeing. Yeah, I think that's great. And memories are just so invaluable. So you guys will have wonderful memories. Your kids will have wonderful memories for years to come. So I think that it'll be such a fun phase in your life coming up here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and then I have made it through about half of your book. I just started it a few days ago, but it has been such a fun read. I love all the stories that you put in there and all the information so far that I've been able to read and learn about you a little bit more. But do you mind telling the listeners a little bit more about your book? What kind of inspired you to write it and those types of things? Yeah, so where I just told you, right, is now we get to do things like I don't really want to call, I know a lot of people attach like meaning to words. So I want to be really careful. I'm calling this next phase our gap year. Yeah. But it's not technically a formal gap year in the way that, but I I always say like, it's kind of our 40 year old gap year, but I wanted to give people in particular, it's really designed for parents mm-hmm. in particular. While I don't think it's solely designed for parents, there were so many people when I started launching um, Ordinary Sherpa that were saying things like, 
I love that you're doing that, but I'm just not adventurous. Or I, w- I wish I could do that. I live vicariously through you. And I'm, and I was like, oh, like that doesn't always, I don't know how I feel about that. Like that wasn't landing where I wanted it to. And so instead of people feeling like they weren't good enough and comparing themselves to me, I wanted to give them a guide to say like, choose what you want, leave what doesn't fit. But here's what I've done. Here's how I got here. This wasn't just like I woke up one day and now I'm an influencer. No, that's not at all what I am. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's been a journey. It doesn't have to take you 20 years. I'm going to give you the sh- the quick guide, hopefully, to just start doing stuff tomorrow. And that was the piece. I'm like it has to be easy enough. Now you got to take time to actually read it, which I know as a parent <laughs> that's hard or anyone, right? That's hard, but it, there will be an audiobook here shortly. Awesome. Um but the goal was every chapter was going to give you something that you could start doing immediately. So you didn't have to like get to the end of the book to get the key learnings. There was something in each chapter that you could easily start implementing, testing, questioning, jotting down notes that were meaningful for your life. And that was that was my goal behind it is I wanted, like I said, in particular parents. The other thing I wanted to also mention was one of the things I was seeing was that families were going a hundred different directions. And I was like, how do we expect people to be healthy for this world that blames parents for everything (laughs) to be functional? Like, how can we be good parents when we don't see our children or when we don't see our spouse or our partner? And so I wanted to put a focus on family, on bringing people together and connecting and supporting each other and finding value in that instead of feeling like, oh, you know, this travel baseball league starts at age 10 and that's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm saying, you guys can't see me. (laughs) I'm saying supposed to like in quotes, (laughs) I wanted people to say, you don't have to do any of that. Like that, those are going to be the narratives that you're going to hear, but you don't have to do any of that. You get to choose what this path is. Everybody has a choice. It's not always an easy choice. And sometimes your kids won't love your choice, but We made a pretty hard and fast rule. I was a coach for a long time. So I do have some context behind like we decided a long time ago that we did not want our kids in travel any sport until middle school. Now, that's a pretty hard statement when you're looking at competitive youth sports. That's just not the way things work. You normally start really young. We also have made this kind of hard line in the sand that we are not requiring, encouraging, nudging any of our kids to go to post-secondary school. Like I want my kids to really fully explore what they want and nurture that and, and drive, let curiosity really drive it. So those were all principles that we'd come to appreciate. And, and now I wanted to share that, you know, my I'm a helper by nature. Like I love to help people. And so I didn't see this about me or my story. I just wanted to give relevance to like, if this is helpful for you, great, take it, use it, steal it, borrow it, share it, whatever works. That's my goal. Like that's, that's what this is all about. If it doesn't work, well, maybe I'll write a better book next time. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, definitely make sure to include a link to the book in the show notes. So I encourage all the listeners to check out Heidi's book, Beyond Normal. A Field Guide to Embracing Adventure, Exploring the Wilderness, and Designing an Extraordinary Life with Kids. And this conversation today, again, mentioning my sister's kiddos, I have a niece and nephew on that side, and we are planning a family RV trip coming up next month, and it's going to be quite interesting. (laughs) We're renting an RV, and we're piling 
myself, my husband, my sister, brother-in-law, their two kids, and my mom all in this RV. And we're driving from Minnesota to Colorado, touring around Colorado for a little bit and back to Minnesota. So it'll be quite the adventure, I think. But this conversation has just made me really excited for that trip. So thanks for being so inspirational, Heidi. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, we'll have to share notes. I would love. And I always say, like, the more chaos, the more memorable. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Could you throw a couple dogs in or anything? Oh, yeah. You know, like, that would Excuse really... <laughs> me, I did forget their dog. They're bringing their dog as well. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, it'll be fun. And you'll learn from each other, right? Yes. You also might learn that... Maybe you don't travel so well together, but you figure that out along the way. Right. So we're either like, this is going to be super fun and memorable, or it's going to be crazy and memorable, and we're going to be really irritable with each other. And it might just depend on the day, might depend on the hour, but I'm sure we'll be making memories regardless. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait. Yeah. So where can the listeners find you if they want to learn more about you or your podcast or if they have any questions and want to reach out to you? Yeah, please reach out. I love having conversations with people about this kind of stuff. Um, you can find me at OrdinarySherpa.com. So that's my website, the podcast, Instagram, uh, all at Ordinary Sherpa, And then the private Facebook group, you just have to search if you go into groups. Um, I can give you the link to in the show notes, uh, just Ordinary Sherpa. I do want to mention, I, I mentioned it earlier in the episode, that freebie that I mentioned is just OrdinarySherpa.com backslash free. And that is 50 simple ideas that you could do tomorrow to have a little more adventure in your life. And it, like I said, it's, it, I designed it for kids because that's what I use it with. But some of them are fun, just like couples adventures. I've done it with my nieces and nephews. I've done it with my parents. You know, it's it's always, you become the person that has to plan once you start getting good at this. So I've done it with a lot of different people, sometimes random strangers in the <laughs> elevator, you never know. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, OrdinarySherpa.com backslash um, free. Perfect. And you can get that as well. Yeah, I'll definitely include that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Heidi, for taking the time to join us on the show today and sharing all of these wonderful tips and tricks about adventuring and about how basically anybody can try to put a little bit more adventure in their life and the benefits of it too. So thank you so much. We really appreciated having you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, Kat. I really appreciate you finding the value in the work. And just like I said, at the beginning of the show, creating the space, you know, I have a lot of friends in in the medical field that are exploring different specialties, and they all need this as well. Not just the adventure stuff, but understanding FI and what the options are. I think, you know, opening up that door is just, it gives so many more opportunities. And I think it's just so inspirational and so exciting. Awesome. Thank you for those kind words. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.